0: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 312. Today's episode is all about embracing diversity in spirituality and meeting others where they are. Mark Nepo's guide to building your own spiritual toolbox for compassion, acceptance, and growth.
1: Th- that's care out of insecurity to try to make everything around you like you. When we're afraid and we're insecure, and we all have moments like that, well, we tend to want, then we tend to look only for what will confirm what we already know. And that's not education. Education is thank God you're not me, tell me what you know, and I'll add what touches my heart and leave the rest. You know, the truth doesn't have to be explained to be true.
0: Turn up your frequency with mind love.
1: Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers,
0: dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your
1: host, Melissa Monti.
0: If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win, because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom, so don't forget to subscribe. When was the last time you questioned something so deeply rooted within you that it felt like a part of your identity? Maybe it's cultural, or the values of your family, or maybe it's the religious beliefs you grew up with, or the spiritual path you were told was the right one. Let's be honest. The spiritual path can sometimes feel like a rigid one-way street. You grow up with certain beliefs, doctrines, and traditions, and they all come with these unspoken rules and dogmas. But what happens when those rules or beliefs don't sit well with you? What if the inconsistencies in the portrayal of the divine begin to gnaw at your very soul? That's what happened to me. Growing up in a religious family, I often felt like the only person who was questioning what I saw as a tangled web of contradictions. The way God was portrayed in church didn't really align with what I felt in my heart. It seemed like God had a totally different persona depending on the day. Even today, deep convos during extended family dinners can be a battlefield, where my own spiritual journey feels like it's being dismissed or invalidated. A common talking point is, I just don't understand how you could be taking this chance. If I die, I know I have nothing to lose. If you deny Jesus, you have everything to lose. Frankly, my programming was so deep, for a while, I would wonder, what if she's right? Was I losing my connection to God by daring to question? Was I betraying my family and their belief systems? It took me years to feel confident in my spiritual connection. Half my life, actually. I always intuitively knew that no one religion has a monopoly on God, but I had to untangle all of the dogma from what felt to me as a fear-based religion to be able to move into a state of consciousness where I could really feel that connection. And now, I just know that my spiritual path doesn't need anyone's validation but my own. That realization was so liberating and terrifying all at once. After all, if the connection between God and me is intimate and personal, then it doesn't need a middleman, right? The validation I needed was already there, in my heart, because I was ultimately validated by God. Every time I speak about this, I get so many responses. Turns out, this little battle between traditional beliefs and personal spirituality is pretty common, but it's also painful. For years, I felt like all I wanted was acceptance, And it was Byron Katie's wisdom that helped me see the irony in my struggle. Everything I felt victim to, I was also guilty of. For example, I wanted my family to embrace and accept my beliefs. But was I extending the same acceptance towards theirs? That realization was both humbling and enlightening. As always, the path to understanding begins with self-reflection. The truth is, or I should say my truth is, That almost all paths have the potential to lead to the same place. It's all self-realization. And not the ego self, the self beyond this lifetime. The awareness behind the mind. It's a very personal journey. One that's uniquely yours. Maybe you've dabbled in different spiritual practices or beliefs. Maybe you were even raised believing in one faith. But to me, it's kind of like trying on different outfits. What fits someone perfectly might feel entirely wrong on you. And that's how our spiritual paths are. What works for me might not work for you, and that's okay. What's important is that we find what feels right for us. Our spiritual paths are shaped by our experiences, lessons, what our souls came to this lifetime to learn. What didn't resonate with you might be exactly what someone else needs. It might be their stepping stone to spiritual growth or precisely the lesson that their soul seeks. And that's something to celebrate, not question. And here's the beautiful part. We can walk our paths and let others walk theirs. We don't have to agree. We don't even have to understand. We just have to be okay with letting others find their way, just like we're finding ours. Because in the end, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about understanding, compassion, and love. It's about giving our minds a little love and letting others do the same. So today we're talking about embracing diversity and spirituality. Our guest is Mark Nepo. He's a poet and philosopher who has taught in the fields of poetry and spirituality for over 30 years, and he's also the author of several books, including The Book of Awakening and Surviving Storms. Three key things we will learn are how to handle the pressure to conform, how to stay open to different ways of experiencing spirituality, and the concept of eternity as the opening to oneness. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the morning mind love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30 minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Mark Nepo to the show.
1: Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'm curious, what initially led you down the path of self-growth?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I think, you know, to, to go way, way back, you know, it began when I was born. No, but not, <laughs> no, actually, I mean, I think that before I had any language for that or even what that was about, when I was a little boy, you know, the world kind of spoke to me through metaphor. I didn't know what that was. But, you know, if I was out wind through the trees, it was like they were going, pay attention. What is this like? What is this like? And so I just always. I just felt, and then later on, I learned, oh, that's a metaphor. But then, more emotionally, you know, when I was in high school, the first woman I fell in love with, she was a year ahead, and she went to college sooner. So of course, the whole world opened up for her, and we broke up, and it broke my heart. And so, with my first experience of heartache, I began writing as a way to just be in conversation about what was going on and i realized pretty quickly i wasn't that this was the beginning of personal growth and that um i wasn't just talking to myself i had begun a conversation with life and the universe but and you know finally i would say late decades later in my 30s and you know probably from my work that i'm a long-term cancer survivor in my 30s, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma, and boy, if the other things didn't get me into personal growth, that sure did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I can imagine. Uh, I lost my dad to lymphoma back in 2000, oh. 2004. So it's been a while now, but
1: uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. In a
0: way, that sent me on my path to self-growth. Honestly, so my dad definitely played a part in in just. Figuring out the meaning of the world, because I remember feeling angry. At that time, I was raised pretty religious. And it's not something I really resonate with now. I lean more toward a broader spirituality. But I remember feeling angry at God. And so for a long time, that was like, there was no God, there was nothing. And then slowly just kind of trying to find my own peace through all of that. I just reinterpreted my beliefs, I should say.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I think our our beliefs really unfold over time. You know, uh, what I, I love, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, he he has an insight where he, he he says, you know, we we act our experience out in life before we understand it as truth. He says that um, you know any questions we would ask about life uh, appear like hieroglyphics in the next experience and the whatever insights are there, but we don't really get it until we live it. And so I think we just keep evolving as far as we know. You know, I think, you know, I'm I'm 72 now. And when I met someone my age when I was younger, I thought they were ancient. It doesn't seem so old now. But, you know, I'm I'm not the same person I was when I was 22 or 32 or 42. And and so it's not that who I was then was false. You know, it's that at each stage of growth, I was as true as I knew how to what I understood. And then life, hopefully, we grow through great love or great suffering, both usually. And then now what I understand or am exploring makes that circle larger. And now I'm as true to that as I know. And so like rings on a tree, we keep growing in our heart and in our consciousness Um, And so what came before was limited, not false. And where we are, wherever we are currently is more whole, more whole.
0: Your latest book is called Surviving Storms, and it's really all about the way that we respond to adversity. (sighs) and i can see why now is the time for this book especially since 2020 <laughs> everything's been a little wild but i'm curious when you look at the way most people handle the storms in their lives where do you think the disconnect is and where people are basically adding to their own pain versus handling it in a better way
1: well and and these are observations you know i don't I, in all the things we discuss i always like to say i i don't what i share are examples not instructions you know i don't have any answers we're all just comparing notes and we all have this so that that leads into you know discussing what it is to be human so we have all these you know capacities and we have all these kind of inclinations where we can trip or fall down and so i think you know all the traditions speak about how <clears throat> especially in the buddhist tradition that there's a there's a whole added level of suffering that comes when we try to avoid legitimate suffering <laughs> and so we make matters worse you know when i'm afraid and i run even further the fear gets bigger i will knock things in down in my way and i'll cause more harm and you know the 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 pain of life is unavoidable and, and in the buddhist tradition again they speak about this as the friction of the wheel of life it just happens and, and having you know gone through my cancer journey it's given me a lens i i come to think of you know no one likes suffering no one says hey sign me up you know <laughs> but i think suffering uh, is to humans what erosion is to nature and we can't stop the wheel of life trying to stop the wheel of life is like an ant trying to stop the earth from turning on its axis. And when we, in our humanness, try to stop things from unfolding or run from things, and and we have a lot of that going on right now, uh, we double our pain. We make things worse um, when we refuse to listen, when we run, when we cut people off. You know, and and I think a lot goes down to the age-old choice between love and fear. I think, in, in you know, my case is just like anybody else's. When we go through something, it takes love to have people show up for us. Everyone's afraid, of course, we're human, but love says, "Okay, I'm afraid, but I'm in." And then there are people who let their fear run their lives. Uh, They say, yeah, I love you, but I'm, you know, I can't really go there. Sorry. And, you know, ultimately, while, while when people don't show up, that hurts, they actually hurt themselves more because they, with each choice not to show up, they become less alive. They become more isolated from life and everything around them. So, you know, D.H. Lawrence, the British English poet, you know, he had a novel, known more as a novelist, but, but he had a poem called Self-Protection. And in it, he asks the question profoundly, is the best self-protection hiding who you are or being who you are? <laughs> and it's understandable that we we reflexively hide, you know, if uh, something comes our way, we flinch or but we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to make it a home. And we have to regroup and say okay okay what's really being asked of me here
0: we're all here just trying to live our best lives right and while you're here listening to a podcast you might feel like you're on the right track but then you visit family or you have a work deadline Or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. I'm reminded of the last time I saw my dad, he was in a hospice center and he couldn't really talk. And at the time I was 19 and Mm. just to give you a little insight into myself as a 19 year old. I don't think I knew how to be there for people. I don't think i I didn't have a lot of tools of anything. I was going through my own stuff, my own trauma sure. that I was still recovering and running from at that time. That's how I protected myself was just sort of chin up and bear it and pretend like everything was fine, even though I would end up crying when I was alone. And so mm. I that was me at the time, and and I had to go back home from college, which I was a very easy place to numb all my feelings, (laughs) was just partying every single night. And then I had to go home and visit my dad in a hospice center. And I was vacillating between resentment, honestly. And when I was showing up, there was almost this like savior complex, like I am doing something so good. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so I almost thank myself for that little, (laughs) that little almost egotistical approach to that because My dad couldn't really talk. He wasn't making sense. And I ended up just holding his hand while he slept, and I fell asleep. I'm going to cry talking about this, but my stepdad came and picked me up to take me back to the airport. And I just remember breaking down in the parking lot, like, falling to my knees. Well, the next Mm. week, my aunt called, and she said, like, your dad's not doing so well. You should come back. And I couldn't. I I at least I didn't believe I could. I was trying to protect myself. And I'm like, I just can't do this again this weekend. Like, give me one more weekend. There's a party I can go to this weekend, you know, (laughs) like, I just don't want to don't want to think about it. And it was very odd because I ended up having this dream that this one Saturday night, and I got a phone call in the dream and the only reason I even really knew it was a dream is because there was a landline phone on my bedstand and I didn't have a landline phone. And it was uh-huh. this big red phone and I answered the phone and it was my dad. And he was just like, I just need you to know that I'm okay. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you're talking so well. And and then I woke up to the phone ringing, my cell phone, and my mom was calling me to tell me my dad, was, my dad had passed. Yeah. And so that... Form of self protection, the not going there ended up being. I mean, to this day, I have to reframe that regret because it feels like a regret. And I've done a lot of work about no regrets, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. But, but it does feel like one. And it just is so ironic that this like attempt to protect myself ended up causing so much more pain. And then that little notion of like just holding my dad's hand while he slept, which just felt so odd for me at that time being 19. I think I was prescribed copious amounts of Adderall at that time. I could barely sit still, but I was just able to be in presence. And I think that is one of my favorite moments that I've ever had with my dad was just holding his hand and, and being present with him.
1: Yeah, well, thank, thank you for sharing it. And it this, this raises a lot of several profound things We I think we can explore. And let me just say for those of us who are li, who are listening to us, I mean, the, the, thank you for sharing and, and I'll share personally too, because when we share at this level, the details are personal, but we open up things that happen to everybody. And that's how we compare notes. That's why it's valuable. So someone listening may not have gone through exactly what you've gone through, but people, people will reckon, oh, oh, but this is kind of my version of that's over here. Oh, and that's how we can learn from each other. And so, you know, I would offer, and let me say one other thing as, as you know, we continue to talk about this and what you share too and what I'm sharing. And that is that at the deepest level, life is a mystery and that involves paradox. Now, paradox is a simple way to approach paradox is it's any moment where more than one thing is true at the same time. And the heart, the heart helps us understand paradox. If we stay open, the mind wants to choose, well, it's A or B, but the heart says, no, let it all in, let it all in. You'll understand, just hang on. So when what you, you know, and you shared that very like profound and tender moment with your dad, you know, your self-awareness about Oh I was kind of running and I was 19 and, and all of that is true and that's really helpful to know that and I hear from my own experience which I'll share that that what's also true is you were the, there, there was no need to go back you had your moment it, you know it's a myth it's, it's a romanticized myth uh, oh if you're just there at the end just just come on make sure you're here at the like some magical thing you you know you don't you never know when that moment if and when that might come uh between loved ones and family and you were there and it happened you didn't miss anything and and therefore he was able to come to you in a spirit state and say hey it's okay it's okay we're okay and your self-knowledge is also true we don't have to choose so you know for me a moment does that make sense is that
0: No one's ever said that to me before. And I don't think I realized how much I needed to hear it. But even when I was walking out of that room that day, my dad couldn't talk, but he gave me this look. And I was very aware that he was aware that that was the last time that he was going to see me. And I can still just picture that that look. And so I've never looked at it that way. (laughs)
1: it's an eternal moment of course it's one of your favorite moments so I had a similar moment you know my father who lived to be 93 he's gone about seven eight years now and we had a, a very you know with my parents I had a very rocky journey because um you know first off they never I you know they uh grew up in the great depression they were very intelligent but very survival oriented and we're Jewish and we had, we had history of family who died in the Holocaust. So they were all about survival for us, for my brother and I, you know, well, and so, you know, they got a mystical poet for a son. Huh? You know they, <laughs> we, they didn't know what to do with me or I with them. And we never really spoke the same language. And, and when I went through my cancer journey out of fear, they really weren't able to show up for me. And that led to us being estranged for like 15 years, and I finally reconnected with my father in his 80s, and which I'm very grateful for. Um, never really reconnected with my mother, though I had to see her when my fa- at the end of my father's life, of course, and to see him. But you know, the moment my moment that was similar to yours was that. So my father, who never really understood at all what I went through almost dying from cancer, my work, you know, I mean, he'd look, I mean, I don't know if he read my books or not, you know, I don't know. Um, I sent them to him, you you know, I'm sure he was, you know, proud of me, but he never always shied away from talking about it. So I don't think he felt comfortable in that terrain, but so, you know, he, he wound up having a stroke and, and I was living 300 miles away teaching and I, went down to see him and um in the hospital and you know in the midst of this very busy hospital room he wasn't we didn't have a private room so there were other people tvs are blaring my mother and brother arguing behind me this you know things buzzing in the hallway nurses you know chaos and in the middle of all that he could talk but it was so hard he gave up all of a sudden he looked at me what sounds like, like your dad. He looked at me with this depth in his eyes that I never saw him have. And he reached and gripped my hand and wouldn't let it go. And I really believe he was looking into eternity. And he understood that because I had almost died, he knew I knew where he was. And I just, even though we had no words between us, and this went on maybe for a minute and a half, two minutes, and I just said, I know dad, it's okay. And then he finally relaxed his hand and his eyes kind of went back to normal, the way I normally would see him look like. And like you, I, you know, and he lived another, almost another year and I was coming to try to see him. When I got word it was close, But I, he died while I was on the plane. But I knew in my heart that um, we had our moment and I'm glad I was there and aware and awake when it happened. So we never know. And this, I think, also is true about wonderful moments. I mean, those are wonderful moments opened up by painful circumstances. But, you know, wondrous moments, loving moments, beautiful moments. Also, we never know when they're going to appear. And this leads us to the whole journey of staying awake, staying awake to every moment that we can so we don't miss the mystery when it shows up.
0: There's a period of time, and it's something that I still have to catch myself with, because I have so many tools, so much language. I've been doing this for a while, just trying to learn <laughs> the different ways. And and like you, in a way that almost created an, a bigger gap between me and people I've grown up with, because... It just feels like we're not relating in the ways that we used to. And it becomes harder to communicate the more language that I have for things in a way. And I started to find that I put a lot of pressure on myself where I I think, well, I'm the one who knows what's happening here. And that might be just my ego pretending to be spirituality. But it's like, well, I, I'm the one who knows what's happening here. I'm the one who can better deal with this. I'm the one who should be able to work through this. And so, and it'll be, I was actually on a walk the other day and I was doing this to myself (laughs) and, and I'm like sitting there thinking that I'm in the present moment while walking there thinking that I'm in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm so aware, but then I'm like, I'm not having all of these thoughts in the present moment. <laughs> these thoughts exist somewhere else. Like, how do you deal with something like that? Because you did go through this with your parents, and it did create what some people might look at as as missed time, another thing to kind of look back and regret on.
1: Well, there's a couple, yeah, there's a couple of things that, that I would share. I mean, and again, in the sense of paradox that all, I, I, if there's been a teacher in the last 10 years that, I, that I'm now a student of, it's the, the mystery that all things are true. All things aren't fair. All things aren't just, but all things are true. And so I have I'm committed to keeping my heart open to all sides. So on the one hand, you know, I, I knew that, yes, there were people in my life or, you know, who would say, oh, gee, you missed all those years with your parents. Isn't that a shame? Well, you know, that's the connections that matter. They don't always appear the same way. That, that's just not how it happened for me. When I had that moment with him, and I had one or two other moments like that, so there were maybe two or three, you know, um, that's how it happened. We had a lifetime conversation without words in a few minutes. And if I insist on seeing it as what didn't happen, I miss what did happen. It just didn't appear the way it usually does for people. For me, it was, and he, it was different. And I can't choose how it shows up. I can only, you know, be there for it or not. So, you know, would I have loved to have more time with him? Oh, I suppose so. But I wouldn't love him any less or more if it appeared differently. It just is, that's how it happened. And so this opens up, you know, one of the other great things i mean there. i'm a student of all traditions some of the things we're talking about are just bringing up some of the buddhist principles um but one of the great great kind of views of of the buddhist uh, way of thinking is this practice called seeing things as they are which is at once the simplest and most difficult practice of all because being human we inflate things and deflate things. We see what's not there as opposed to what is there. And so when we can see what's really there, we can feel it and we can accept. And that leads us into the lifelong practice of acceptance. Like that's what we had. That's it. And I'm grateful for it because I, I could have not had those moments. So, so on the, the one hand, there's that. Now, to The other thing that that what you were raising which makes you a know, total sense and and it, this raises a double-edged i think a double-edged practice of being sensitive so it's wonderful that you have stumbled into the language of wakefulness and personal growth and uh certainly you know all my life with words um but one of the things that on the on the positive side or on the the joining side is that that's our language. There are many languages of spirit, and it's incumbent on us to stay open. Like those translators at the UN, we have to try to stay open to who. what's everybody's language. So I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, I have a friend, we've, we're not really close anymore, but we were for many years, and he, was, he saw himself, still does, as an atheist, and, but he had this love of jazz music. He was actually a DJ on a radio station for several years and his knowledge and love of jazz was unbelievable. Like we would get together once a month and he would he'd make a playlist because he wanted me to hear all these different cuts and he'd say, oh listen to this. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? And I couldn't hear half of what he was hearing because that wasn't my language. And then what I loved more than anything was he would listen to these things and he'd start to cry. He was feeling such joy at hearing this music. And that that was his language. And if I said, oh, he's an atheist, yeah, he likes jazz, but what does he know? I would have not. I grew for listening for spirit through his language. Not better or less than mine, just different, just like birds have different bird songs. So I have another friend who, uh, he was raised by a minister, so he hates religion, you know? So, and, but he, he really loves, is so intrigued with quantum physics. So we can talk about spirit through the language of quantum physics. I don't care. So on the one hand, how do I, if I meet you with my heart and your heart, how do we, how do I say, what's, What's your language for being alive? Tell me about that, and I'll tell you about mine. Now, the other side of that is, again, all things are true, is this is a different axis, and that's the axis of people who who life has brought them to want to grow and look, even at difficult things, and other people who don't want to look and are afraid, and that fear is ruling them, and they they will push it away. They they don't want to. So that's different than different language. That's very difficult, and, and we have a lot of that in the world today, in our modern society. A lot of people that have been so, God, and again, not with judgment, but with compassion because, you know, I could wake up tomorrow, have something happen, and I'll become like that. And then I'll need you, if you're my friend, to help remind me, hey, hey, you're afraid and hurt, but that's not it. That's not it. Come on, let's let's come back here into what matters. So, you know, we, we're not asked, we are asked to, how can I find the language, the spiritual language that comes out of everybody's heart? But we're not asked to give ourselves away. So I don't, you know, if you don't want, Or you can't go there. It's not okay for you to criticize or minimize my language for spirit, my experience. So again, all things are true. So we have to learn how to stand in our truth. But our truth isn't the only truth. Mm
0: -hmm. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes, so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. risk free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com/mindlove. That's drink l n t.com/mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning This brings up something that's been recently happening to me. It's I've been working with acceptance, probably will for my whole life. (laughs) But the amount of times that I realize that I think I'm accepting things, and then if I actually just sit with it a moment, I'm like, no, I'm accepting the chance that this could change. (laughs) So I'm accepting. And so one of the sort of life struggles I have is because of my religious background, and there's people in my family that still are very attached to that religion and it always feels like pressure. And like I told you, I went through a period of time where I was like, there's nothing beyond what is right here. And then now I have this whole, I mean, my, my spiritual beliefs are constantly evolving because I'm constantly trying to stay open and learn. Well, I was having this sort of internal struggle with a family member just like how do I convince somebody I'm not going to hell? Or like, why are you putting this fear on me? And again, I recognized this, these like internal prayers or meditations I was doing, ultimately was about the other person changing, versus me accepting. And so I was trying to just ask for guidance of a way to be more accepting, and to let things roll off me. So it's like, developing these little mental tricks like just sending love and whenever I get triggered just being like oh I love you and and when I think about it (laughs) deeply there's like this air of pompousness kind of to it I think but anyway so I was I've been asking for this for a while now well I've in the last two years I've gone through this whole I've read a lot of biblical scholarship I've read a lot of I've just been on a journey. Like, what? Where is this next thing taking me? So this one book mentions a book, then I buy that book, then I kind of go to that. Well, long story short, long story still long. T- to be honest, <laughs> is that that I uh, now I've been going through a, a course in miracles. And what's interesting is that so I would try to meet my family where they are and and use words like God, even when I wasn't comfortable with it. But then I would be going through something and I'm in a vulnerable state, and they'd be like, Well, just talk to Jesus. And I would get triggered because I'm like, That's not my yeah. language. Why can't you meet me where I am? I'm trying to do that for you. Like in my mind, this is what's going on. Well, I've been led to a Course in Miracles, and I actually love what I'm learning so far through it. But it's been removing the blocks around language that I've had because it does use very Christian terminology. It talks about the Holy Spirit and Jesus and all mm-hmm. of this stuff. And so I can feel things melting away and I'm able to meet somebody where they are more, but it's just so funny because I had this whole idea in my head the last couple of years about how good I've been doing meeting somebody where they are when in reality, now, now I can see back. And I don't think I was doing a very good job at all.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, thank you. And and I think, um, what, you know, what that brings up for me, a couple, a couple of things that I've learned over the years is, you you know, one is that, why are we meeting people where they are? And I think it's not to change them. It's to grow from meeting someone where they are. Just be who we are and to learn from who they are. And yes, it's not okay for others to impose on us. So we have to stand firm in what we know, uh, because that's not really, really love. Uh, That's that's care out of insecurity to try to make everything around you like you. So when we're afraid and we're insecure, and we all have moments like that, well we tend to want, then we tend to look only for what will confirm what we already know. And that's not education. Education is thank God you're not me. Tell me what you know, and I'll add what touches my heart and leave the rest. I think there's this, you know, the truth doesn't have to be explained to be true. Uh, You know, someone says you're going to go to hell. Well, uh, what's that got to do with you? You know, what's that other than the relationship being misperceived and that hurts? And those are relational things. But as far as the truth as you know, it, it has nothing to do with your truth. it's a a miss. It doesn't hit at all. And I think, you know, I mean, this brings up another paradox. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dedicated lifelong teacher and I love being in teaching circles. And I've come to the conclusion humbly that you can't change anyone. So what am I doing? Well, it's changed my understanding of what it is to be a teacher, because I think what it is to be a teacher now is to be like a greenhouse. You provide light and warmth and a safe container and then the life before you will grow as it is meant to grow, not how I would like it to grow or how I think it should grow or what I think is right for it to grow. That's presumptuous. That's not my business. My business is to provide light and warmth so things and people in, in our company together can grow as they were born to grow. And so this leads to, and this has helped me, I've said I'm a student of all paths, and I was raised Jewish, I have a great tie to the Jewish heritage. But during my cancer journey, like I said, you know, I boy, I was just upended, inside out and upside down and terrified of everything. And I was blessed to have people from all, all faiths, formal and informal, offer me some kind of help. So when I land, still landed here alive, I was not, and it's almost, it's 35 years later, and I'm still not wise enough to know what worked or what didn't. And I feel like I was challenged to believe in everything. And I've been a student of all paths ever since. Well, my books focus on all the paths and the different tools they offer. And I encourage uh, everyone make your own toolbox take whatever speaks to your heart from every tradition and make your own tool spiritual toolbox to help you through life well, we don't have to well, you know you can you can find a home in one particular tradition that's yeah but that's not how it's worked for me and the the metaphor just like you know the metaphor of suffering being like erosion came from going through cancer well the other thing that came from this blessing of being helped is that helps me understand all the different traditions is the metaphor of spring, springtime. So every year, thousands of insects and birds pollinate spring. Each one is born to find a particular nectar and pollinate a particular flower, tree, or shrub, or fruit. Now, if the bees came along and said, hey, we're we're all going to do it our way, they were fundamentalist bees, you wouldn't have spring. It wouldn't work. We need that diversity because we don't know which, and I think spiritually, we need all the traditions, even including atheist and agnostic. Um, We need all the different, because we never know which one is gonna touch the heart, just like jazz touched the heart of my friend. We don't know which one will speak to each of us to bring us alive for us to pollinate the human spring. So we don't have to choose. In fact, it's, it's deadly to choose. History is f- filled with the deadly choices of do it my way. Do it my way. And I, I've come to think like, if you believe in anything larger than yourself, I'd say you're a mystic. Now, as soon as we try to name what's larger than us, everybody goes to their corners. It's Jesus, it's Allah, it's Moses, it's Buddha, it's nature, it's physics. It's, you know, on and on and on. And uh, I don't really, as I get older, I don't really care what we call it. I just want to know how you relate as a part in a living universe, because that helps us live. That helps us live. So I think that, you know, what I have come to is when I find people insisting on their way, I you know, I'm I'm really not interested in that conversation. Uh, it just because of... It goes nowhere, and then all it does by me engaging it is draw me into it. Then I'm, st- then I'm stuck in like a dead-end road, and I can't change someone. I can provide light and warmth, and given what happens to them, maybe, maybe we'll connect sometime.
0: I recently read, I think it was in A Course in Miracles, talking about putting your energy towards opposing something is in a way, affirming it. It's like affirming that this is a worthwhile conversation to have, whatever way you want to look at that affirmation. But I am kind of in the same camp of where I have grown to realize that everything's just another method, another method towards self-realization or towards whatever it is that we individually are seeking. I guess sometimes that's even different. For me, I've always looked at it ironically as I have this quest to find the truth. I need to know the truth. And like you said earlier in this conversation, sort of embracing this idea that multiple things can be true, even if it seems paradoxical. And I've had like for years been like, I wish these family members would stop trying to change my reality, would stop trying to challenge everything that I have found for myself and then so I come to the conversation and I'm arguing against these things. And I'm like, am I not trying to change what you believe? I should be so happy and and grateful that you found something that works so well for you that you're so solid in. I'm still searching and I have those pillars as well. But every time that I get tensed or triggered about it, it just shows that my foundation is shakable versus just sort of standing in my own light, standing with my own beliefs, uh, Embracing the difference between us and and just being grateful that we're both glad to find it.
1: I would also offer that um, in our modern world, you know, being certain and sure is not having a strong foundation always, that we are continually growing and learning. And, you know, it's interesting, the word I'm often I'm often interested in the original definitions of words because they're more whole over time words erode, too. And so a word self-confidence, we kind of think of that as sureness and certainty. And that's not what self-confidence originally means, because the word confidence comes from the Latin confidere, and it means fidelity. So self-confidence is fidelity to the journey of the true self. Fidelity to the journey of the true self, not certainty, not sureness, not never having a question. It's quite the opposite. To me, it's living a life of questions. It's, it's staying true to the evolving of how spirit evolves in us over time.
0: I'm reminded of something you said earlier in this conversation. When we were talking about the idea of regretting missed time with people versus that moment that you had with your dad, that I had with my dad, I was listening to Ram Dass the other day and he talked about how eternity is in the present moment. And so when you think about just sharing a present moment with somebody, you've shared eternity with them. And this sort of reminds me of what we're talking about now because often the goal is to you know, be in the present moment. Don't get caught up in the future worries and the past regrets. And this present moment, though, is ever-changing. And so to allow yourself the growth, to allow the kind of fluctuating nature of that present moment and to just be there and, and accepting and loving of what's in it for you. I don't know. It just, it can transform so many different conversations of like just allowance and.
1: Yeah. So Ram Ram Das is wonderful and, and, and he was, was an amazing uh, spirit and, you know, this notion that in, in many traditions and I think we misunderstand, you know, to be, to be in the moment, is not just for what it keeps us from the past or the future. To be fully in the moment is to stay open with our heart so that when we are, we experience all of life at once. We experience through, this is why when you walk in the woods and the light falls on a particular leaf or a stone and you hold it up and it seems like it glows or something's magical, it's because through your openness of heart we're connecting through a particular thing and all the energy and electricity of spirit from everywhere else you're tapping into it it's like these moments are seams to the living universe so eternity is like like when you drop a stone in the water and it ripples it's not stacking years one on top of another it's the opening. It's the experience. The reason to be in the moment is we experience oneness. So let me share that one of the other profound moments for me with my father, because it's an example of this. So a few months after I, that moment I shared earlier, I was visiting him. He was still in the same hospital room, and I was uh, wonderfully had alone time with him. And I there I was, like a lot of people find, I was feeding my father applesauce with a spoon. All of a sudden, you know, my heart was breaking and it was sad and beautiful and wonderful and everything all at once. And everything I'd ever learned was all now in the moment of, I just wanted to, this dance of feeding him this spoon of applesauce. Didn't want to hit his teeth or interrupt his breath and and just this thing and I'm crying and he's we're doing this and he's reaching with his mouth. And all of a sudden, I tripped in, it was a moment of wonder, even though it was a difficult moment. And I tripped into the moment somehow of every adult child feeding a dying parent. I wasn't alone. And and what, is, what I've come to understand from that moment, because earlier I mentioned Emerson, and that was a good example for me that I didn't understand it till I lived it. So from that moment, I've come to understand That when we can be thoroughly who we are, be authentic and real, when I am thorough to the bottom of my heart, then I trip into the history of all hearts. Then I trip into the moment, if I am loving, if I love you or my wife or my dog completely, I trip into the moment of everyone who ever loved a dog. And likewise, when I can feel the pain of someone, I trip into the history of pain. And we experience this moment, this glimpse, felt glimpse of oneness. That's the reward for being in the moment. We have to pull out of the future and the past to turn ourselves over. But that's, it's like (laughs) talking about, um, you know, when Gandhi talked about nonviolence. Well, he didn't just talk about nonviolence. The word for non the word that he was using in Hindu is ahimsa, which means harmony and harmlessness. So you have to be nonviolent to get there but just being nonviolent doesn't that doesn't name what it is. just like okay being in the moment we can okay we won't get too far ahead and we won't get tangled in the path. Well that's necessary but that's not what entering the moment is.
0: That's such a beautiful way to look at it because so often people feel alone in their pain unless they have like all these people holding hands with them, crying. <laughs> but most often I feel like people feel alone in their pain. But just the fact that you're opening yourself and allowing yourself to feel it, you unite with everyone else who's ever experienced pain if you let yourself.
1: Well, the, you know, the reward for being thorough in our own experience, is that then we can feel other living things. That's almost almost the requirement to experience oneness, you know, and we can glimpse it mentally, but that's not feeling it. That's not entering it.
0: So, so much of self-growth is allowing yourself time to reflect and to, you know, self-inquiry and noticing, things like that. But I'm curious, as a teacher, how do you balance your creative process of allowing the moment and just seeing what's in it for me and then also kind of capturing things to reshare with people? Uh, Because (laughs) I found that that can, I can kind of get, I'm like, should I be just letting this or should I be writing this down or...
1: (laughs) I think I felt that tension when, when I was younger and, um, and I've learned over time, there's been a beautiful rhythm that has opened up. So when I am, and I think that writing for me has become over the years, listening and taking notes. So I am learning, I'm retrieving, I'm, I'm always on in inquiry. And then when I write and explore, Then I take what I'm learning into the circles, teaching circles that I'm guiding and basically say, here, here's this story. Here's this metaphor. What do we do with this? Let's look at it together. And then as people share like we've been sharing, then when people uh, share, if they're real and I'm real, then they open up a conversation where I to be with them, I find myself. Uh, giving voice to what I didn't know I knew that I wouldn't say or write down if I were just by myself. So then I come out of that now and I take notes so that I can take those notes and go back in my solitude to explore them further. And so there's this really beautiful rhythm between uh, the writing inquiry and the teaching space. It
0: just reminds me of the sort of exponential wisdom of minds coming together.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. We are more, you know, there's there's a a beautiful tradition in Native American tradition that elder councils for hundreds of years, and today too, they still meet in circle and not just because of equity, because there's no head to a circle. They meet in circle so that everyone has a direct view of the center. And what I love about that is the assumption is no one view is enough. We need what you see and you see and you see. So if if whatever you put in the center, whatever we want to discuss or look at, it's like a a prism. It has many facets. So we need what you see from your side of the circle. And so forget, you know, the older I get, I'm not interested in debate or persuasion or argument. Uh, I'm interested. We gather meaning. We don't choose it.
0: I love leaving listeners with something to focus on for the week to sort of ground what we've been talking about into their lives. So what would you have somebody who's going through something difficult, what would be one practice or one, one thing to focus on that might help them this week?
1: Well, one thing that I know I always try to do in practice is, you know, fear, pain, difficulty, they make us tense up and kind of pull back. It's a reflex. But we don't have to stay there. And so the challenge, of course, is when we're feeling that, how do we hold open our heart, hold nothing back and lean back in? And so what I try to do very simply is take a deep breath and then give my full attention to the nearest part of life that's near me, that's near me, until it becomes my teacher. It could be a fly on the wall. In the Hindu tradition, is a term upa guru. It means the teacher that is next to you at this moment. So particularly when I'm in stress or afraid, just when I say, oh, yeah, great, I'm going to take a breath. Well, I'm going to do this now. Yeah, yeah. And give your full attention beyond your saying, oh, okay, I don't have patience for this, you know, until you've dropped your all agendas and you're looking for the pattern of what's happening before you so that it can be your teacher, that it can help you.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time in this conversation. I feel like I'm leaving three months of therapy right now. So for, <laughs> for <laughs> listeners who are resonating with you and want to learn more about your books, where's the best place for them to connect?
1: Oh, uh, well, my website, marknipo.com. And, and uh, you'll find all where I'm teaching and things that I'm doing. Um, Uh, You know, everything is there in my books um, and you can find my books pretty much anywhere.
0: All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 312. Your challenge for this week is pretty simple. We're not going to focus on our own acceptance. We're going to focus on the acceptance of others. So think about someone whose choices you don't understand. It can be on their spiritual path or anything else. And instead of using your ego mind to try to understand, be okay with the fact that you might not, and instead just bless that person. Send them some loving kindness. There is real science between loving kindness meditations and what it does to our minds, our bodies, our physiology, when we send out that loving kindness to somebody else. It's like the concept that in order to receive, we have to give first. So focus on that this week. Whenever you think about it, whenever you feel yourself boiling with anger or being frustrated with another person, just stop yourself and send them loving kindness. And let me know how you feel. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. You can find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com/sponsors. There's some incredible ones there with some incredible deals, so check out that page. If you want step-by-step guidance to creating a more intentional life this year, consider joining the Mindlove membership at mindlove.com/membership. Every month there's a new masterclass that's designed to help you design more intention into your life. So that's at mindlove.com slash membership. You also get access to a ton of meditations and a bunch of exclusive episodes as well. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.